And the more I thought about what I wanted to do with my own company, it was about how do you take some of these things that are intrinsic problems, like that really are perplexing us, right? That are keeping people in these positions where we don't have a shared level of power. How do you take those dynamics, come up with solutions, and put wings on them? Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And my name is Kyle Hagee. And I'm Benjamin Rangel. And today, not only do we have an incredible interview to share with you, but the best part of today, what is tr- truly the best part, is you don't have to listen to just Ben and I talk. Thank God. But you get to hear from our incredible colleague, Taylor Valencia. Taylor, tell the people who you are. Hi, I'm Taylor. I'm a Trinity Fellow at Marquette, working on my master's in environmental engineering, originally from Virginia, repping Howard University, HU in the house. Um, I'm super excited to be here today, super excited. To, to listen to Deanna and to work with you both on this podcast. And she's very humble, folks, because she's also the founder of Taylight Candles. Lit. Thank she you. has her own her own candle business, so follow that on Instagram, buy some candles, <laughs> support the podcast. She's pretty much the Edison of our time. Yes, we thought Bringing about, light we thought to about just interviewing her, to be honest. That might be on the next episode. <laughs> but for now, Deanna Singh is here, and she's an author, thought leader, motivational speaker, Lawyer, nonprofit board member, and we could go on and on, but her bio would take up the entirety of the episode, so we will say the most important thing. She's also an incredibly nice human being. Uh, but the main focus of the interview today is going to be about her company, Flying Elephant, whose main focus is to uplift impact by working with individuals, communities, and companies to create socially responsible opportunities. She will talk about two of the books that she authored under the imprint Story to Tell Books, I Am a Boy of Color and I Am a Girl of Color. Flying Elephant also has a wide variety of other offerings, including consulting, leadership, diversity and inclusion training, keynote speaking, etc. But you can find this all out for yourself at her website, DeannaSing.com. Promise we're not getting paid for this, it's just she does so much that you just got to go to the website and see it for yourself. We are really excited to bring this interview to you and it's perfect timing because Deanna also has a new book coming out on the 20th called The Purposeful Hustle, which she will talk about in this interview. So in addition to listening to the entire interview right now and following us on social yeah, media. you should have been doing already. Yeah, I mean, if you're, not, if you're listening to us and you're not following us on Instagram. Then don't even listen. Well, no, <laughs> keep listening. But in addition to all that, Please go check out her book. If you're trying to come up in society, you're definitely going to need this book and follow Deanna's advice. But we'll stop talking now and we'll let Deanna explain the rest. Hello, it's so nice to be here with all of you. My name is Deanna Singh and I am actually right now the chief change agent for my own company, which is called Flying Elephant. So Ben and I were at the UW-Milwaukee TED Talk and I think that was the first time we had been exposed to you and in parts of your story and we were really impressed by this the talk and i think we mentioned this briefly so we were thinking like the week before we had the idea to start the podcast and we were trying to come up with a name we were coming up with horrible names i flushed them out of my mind and we couldn't think of like what would be a good name and then you had a whole talk about bridging 
people together, bridging different cultures together. And that was like the impetus for us to be like, oh, bridge the city would be perfect. So thank you for that. And we were joking that we owe you some royalties. Um, <laughs> but um, if you want to just uh, kind of talk about aspects of your childhood that where you saw kind of culture come together, bridging different people together and the impact that had on your life. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for just uh, saying that and for, you know, being there and listening and then coming away with a tangible thing that you could do afterwards. Because mm-hmm. at the end of that TED Talk, I really do talk about how everybody should be thinking about how they can build bridges. And so you don't have to give me royalties unless you super, super, super <laughs> <super-sama. Yeah. laughs> at which point I just want to have like a picture on okay, your website. We, and, we can do that. And then, you know, so let's negotiate that later. Um, but really like the, the main thing I was hoping to achieve from doing that was actually encouraging people to think about how they could build bridges and where they could build bridges. And so the very fact that you walked away with that call to action, you took it seriously, but then you applied it to the city I love, is like, it's the greatest gift you really could have given me. And so I just want to start by first saying thank you for doing that. So you asked about my upbringing and my background. And I think that when I think about my own childhood and experiences that I actually had, I was incredibly fortunate to be born into a household that was multiracial. So my mother is African American and my father is a Sikh American. And, you know, in many ways, I saw this during the TED Talk too. It's like East meets West, right? My mom's from this little bitty place in Mississippi and my dad's family is from this little bitty village in India, right? And so being able to be in this space where I was constantly on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum and through their ability to love one another and find that middle space and help me find that middle space I feel like I was able to help other people find that middle space and so I've spent a lot of time just in places where people think there's dichotomies that can't come together I know that that's not true because I'm a living breathing example of what happens when that when that comes together and what happens when love is part of the equation and so you talk a lot about your purpose when you're talking to us as Trinity Fellows, and I think it came through when you were deciding what to do after law school. You had, like, I remember Michael Jordan's lawyer being involved yeah. somehow, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you should listen to him. <laughs> um, but you had, like, two options, and then third option, which was, like, substantially less pay. Could you just walk through that kind of story, and also, like, um, as people, maybe even for us or our, our peers, kind of pick what's next in our life, what should we be thinking of? How do you make those tough decisions and really stay true to your purpose? Sure. So I speak a lot about purpose. And actually, one of the things that I'm excited to announce on the podcast is that I'm coming out with a book called The Purposeful Hustle. That's right. We had to bring out the air horns for the new book. On September 20th, when the book comes out, there will actually be a book release party at Good City Brewing. That's September 20th at 5.30 p.m. This might be the first Bridge of City scoop as well, so watch out New York Times. Back to Deanna. But what's so exciting about, and the reason why I focused on this idea of purpose and hustle is because I really do believe that it's important for people to identify what their purpose is in life. And I think that everybody has a an individual purpose that's on you. It's because of your experiences, your circumstances, the things you have access to, the way your brain works, the way you touch things. You know, everybody has a different a different makeup. And that makeup makes you situated to do things in different ways, right? And so 
identifying what your purpose is and being able to have clarity around your purpose, I think is a central thing that everybody should be aspiring to. Now, what I will say is that it should be a lifelong journey, right? You shouldn't necessarily get to a place where you're like, this is exactly it. But the closer and the more you push yourself to what that purpose is, I think the stronger, um, the, the more capable you'll be to actually make an impact in the world. So it's so interesting you ask this question because if you can identify what your purpose is, then you can also figure out how you want to hustle in the world, right? Yes. And there is a difference between like, you know, people use the word hustle and there's a lot of negative connotations to it. But when I think about hustle, I think about what I saw in my parents. I think about how do you work hard at something? How do you connect to something that's bigger? How do you move? How do you stay nimble? How do you get through different places and actually achieve the things that you are, you, only you are here to be able to achieve? And so, you know, kind of coming back to your question about, well, how did you decide what your next steps were going to be? Well, not just in going to law school or going to wherever, whatever jobs I've taken, it's always come back to that same question. What is the thing that is going to most align me with my purpose? And if I can figure out what that thing is, then my decision becomes much, much clearer. So the, the story, you know, that I, that I kind of allude to or talk to you about in the book is, I remember sitting on the floor in law school and I had these three options in front of me, three different jobs, you know, one was in New York and one was in DC and one was in Milwaukee. And when I went and I talked to all my, you know, my colleagues and people who are in my inner circle who were, you know, had given me amazing counsel through my life and still do give me amazing counsel, none of them even considered the Milwaukee option because the Milwaukee option wasn't a fancy title and it wasn't, you know, People on the East Coast don't think Milwaukee's as fancy as they are. No, I disagree, no. but, you know, that, that bias exists. That's true. Um, you know, and it wasn't in a high-rise building, and my clients weren't going to be the people that you see in the, you know, the, the newspapers and all that. And then there was these other two positions that had all those things, right? And when I sat there, everybody was like, oh, they weren't even thinking about this third one. But every time I kept looking at the three options, it was literally three letters in front of me, I kept gravitating to this Milwaukee offer. And the reason why I kept gravitating is because when I put it through the lens of money, it didn't make sense. When I put it through the lens of prestige, didn't make sense. When I put it through the lens of title, didn't make sense for me to be looking at Milwaukee. When I put it through, you know, um, just a whole bunch of, you know, things that people typically will make decisions up, it didn't make sense to look at Milwaukee. But as soon as I put shine the light of purpose on it, it was 100% clear to me that that was the right answer. Because in the other places, I would have gotten all those things but I would not have been able to make the same kind of impact. I wasn't uniquely positioned to do those things. Whereas I felt like going back home to a city that I love, working with people who couldn't otherwise afford to get legal services, right? Like that's where, that's where I could actually see impact. And so, and, and I could see alignment with my purpose, which to me, my purpose is shifting power to marginalized communities. So I actually am an East Coaster, and I'm not going <laughs> to lie. When I was telling my family I was moving here, Milwaukee is not a, a sexy sounding city. It's, you know, it's like, uh, people are like, really? What's out there? But it's been an awesome move. Um, <laughs> so my question is going back to the book. So you're coming out with a new book. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Do you plan on writing more books that are similar to the two that you've published, the I Am a Boy of Color and I Am a Girl of Color? Do you see yourself maybe writing, I'm a woman of color, I'm a man of color? Because I do have those those two books in my place right now in a cute little reading book. <laughs> and some days I'm like, oh man, I wish there was a I'm a woman of color book yeah. that I could read too. <laughs> well, thank you very much for the support. Um, you know, writing those two books were really transformational for me mm -hmm. as a 
person who likes to be in the social justice uh, space, they were transformational for me because I didn't realize when I wrote them how they would impact people in the spaces that they would go into in the ways that they would kind of enter into those spaces that was very different than what I had done in my other social justice work. And so it was just illuminating for me. And looking back on it, it makes all the sense in the world now because I love literature, right? I love books. I love art. And of course, those are places and things that people have used for gazillions of years to try and help people understand and be empathetic to different like life situations. So when I, I didn't know writing the book, but now that I've had all these opportunities to have really interesting conversations about race and about literature and about children and education, I could see the power, right, that is within within those books. And so, yes, it's a long-winded way to say yes. <laughs> um, I would really, really like to write uh, a, a couple of other books. I actually am in the process right now of storyboarding two different uh, story types, which I'm not going to disclose the name of because they're still, you know, in the, in the formation uh, phases. But other thing, though, that I'm really excited about doing, and I'm not sure exactly what form this will take, but I'm excited about being able to create an access point for other people of color to enter into the publishing space. So while I have these other projects that I'm storyboarding and kind of thinking about, the other thing that's going on in the background is really how do I create a platform or participate in creating a platform that allows more people to get in. So yes, there's more books coming, hopefully <laughs> okay. not just from me, hopefully from a lot of other people. So you talked about, uh, in the introduction, Flying Elephant. Can you elaborate on what that is? So this idea of Flying Elephant, the story is kind of funny, but I think it was like my 11th year anniversary, and my husband gave me a elephant, and it was this beautiful, ornate, gorgeous elephant. And in the card, he wrote something to the effect of like, uh, you know, this is to add to your elephant collection. I thought, my elephant collection? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't have an elephant collection, yeah. right? So I was like, thank you so much. This is awesome. And, you know, we had this whole, and he, he's very poetic. So he wrote a beautiful, you know, piece about, about the elephant and all this other thing. And, but I'm like, but you know, honey, I, I don't have an elephant collection. <laughs> and he, in his gentle way, just took my hand and he's like, come, come with me through our house. So we walk through my house and I have an elephant Elephants, like literally everywhere. I yeah. have elephants, and I've collected them from different places I've traveled in the world. But I never, never sort yeah. of intentionally, sort of subconsciously, yeah, I've been collecting these elephants. So, and you know, so then you kind of think, like, well, why am I so drawn to the elephant? Like, what is it about the elephant that really draws me in? And I think there are some things that are very clear, right? Like, the elephant is this beautiful, majestic animal. I come from an African background and an, and an Asian background. There's the African and Asian Indian, so really important in both of the cultures that I was raised in. You know, I've spent a lot of time kind of a, in a weird way just around elephants, especially when I was spending time um, at home in India. And so, yeah, I've, I've just always had this thing and just, you know, it's a, it's the matriarch runs runs the show, right? And so there's the women empowerment embedded in how they and how they uh, they act. And so there's just a lot of things about the elephant that were really appealing. But the idea of flying was how do you take something that's majestic and big and heavy and put wings on it, Ugh. right? How do you make those kinds of things fly? And the more I thought about what I wanted to do with my own company, it was about how do you take some of these things that are intrinsic problems like that really are like perplexing us, right? That are keeping people in these positions where we don't have a shared level of power. How do you take those dynamics, 
come up with solutions and put wings on them. And that was where, you know, it started with something kind of funny that my husband pointed out to me, but then it really helped me understand what was going on kind of subconsciously about how I see the world. So. Well, it's a good thing that story wasn't shared at TEDx. Our podcast would be Elephant Name. <laughs> <laughs> Elephant the City. Yeah. Elephant yeah. The city. <laughs> That's really funny. So during the Trinity Fellow discussion, you mentioned being in a space often with like white males, predominantly white old males. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience in that? And then you mentioned some advice you got from somebody while you were in those situations and how do you confront that? I have been incredibly fortunate in um, both my personal and professional space to be able to go and spend time in a lot of interesting spaces. Um, my one of the things that we talk about a lot at home is I have a lot of joy in the fact that I can spend, or I, I'm very intentional about spending as much time in the boardroom as I am on the block. I'm especially sensitive to the fact to that fact because there's a lot of times where I shouldn't be at the table, right? And so, so I think from from just like that standpoint, what would I want somebody who is representing me to do? Like, what would create? What would be appropriate for them to do? Where's that line? And I think that's something that, you know, you constantly wrestle with because there are going to be moments, and I say this to to young leaders all the time, there are going to be moments where, quite honestly, the juice is not worth the squeeze. You're going to be in a room. People are going to have the wrong kind of attitude. They're going to, you know, become, but you know what? You don't have to ever see them again. All you need in that moment is to understand what the goal is. And if the goal is something that's tangible, it's quick, it's whatever, you got to get past, you got to play this little game because there's something bigger on the other end, then you have to make that decision whether or not you're going to play it. On the other hand, there are going to be moments where you're in the room and people are acting a fool and it's not appropriate, <laughs> right? And in those moments, you have to also understand like where your where your integrity is and, and where what you're going to do about it and where you can step up and say, Look, this is going in this direction, and I'm going to pause this because I'm uncomfortable, and this is why this is why I'm uncomfortable. And I think that that takes time. I think it takes practice. I think it takes a lot of like self reflection. It takes a lot of motivation. It takes a lot of failure, right? You have to kind of have moments where you're like, I should have. I really should have said something. Or moments like, I should have shut. <laughs> I should have kept my mouth quiet, right? So it is something you gain like through experience. But I think just even putting that into perspective that you have to come to the table, you gotta read the table, you gotta understand the table, but you gotta know who you are if you're gonna be effective at any table, irregardless of who else is around. The follow-up question I was gonna ask is like, the role of like allyship, this is something that I often ask as a male, particularly following the Me Too movement and everything that came out, is like, what is my role as a male? So this ally question I think is a, a really interesting one because it's one of the questions that's hard to answer from a broad stroke. If you're talking about something that's really concrete, I heard a, um, actually a former Trinity fellow uh, give this example to a group and she said, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm doing like a, a march, you know, and I'm, in, I'm, I'm marching for something and I'm marching for like Black Lives Matters and I'm a white woman and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I'd like to interview you for this thing, I'd be like, but uh, why? <laughs> right? Like, are you talk? Are you going to be talking about it from like a white privilege standpoint, and you want me to speak? Because if that's the case, then I can speak with uh, you know from an authentic. But if you're talking about like, if you're just coming to me because you feel comfortable coming to me, then that this isn't the appropriate time to do that, and to just have that moment of reflection in that moment. So that's a very like 
concrete thing that can happen. But that same person, I would argue, if you're in a classroom and there's nobody in the class who comes, you know, with a, a, an understanding of Black Lives Matter, never even heard of it or never. And, you know, you're having this conversation and you feel like in that moment, it's your turn to be like, hey, I'm raising my hand. I want to say something here. This is what I understand. This is where the limitations of what I understand are, where I'm still curious. But you're going to say, like, we're not going to just skip over the topic because this is something that we need to consider as we're considering this broad, you know, this this other issue. Well, that's a different time, right? That's a different place. And so I think you could be the same person in a different set of situations and circumstances where your role and what you're supposed to do is different. And so I think that it's not so much about, like, what are the key things I can do? And it's not so much about that as much as it's about kind of that same question about before at the table. Like, how do you... What are the questions that you're using to check yourself, right? So you walk into a room and you realize there's only one woman in the room. What are you going to do? How are you going to make sure that her voice is heard? Are you going to be more cognizant of how much time you're speaking? Are you going to, it's like a self-regulation, right? Are you going to, uh, you know, circle back around to her later on just to make sure, you know, you, you get a chance to actually get to know her as a person and don't typecast her as something like what are the things that are your own biases that you're bringing to the table and how do you how do you deal with those and that's the other thing I guess I would say like in relationship to all of these different things that when people want to go only for the big problem and only want to show up at the big events and the you know big talks on it and the big like people want to do that because it's like I can put that on Facebook and I'm you know like I'm going like Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that in absence of or in lieu of or without having the individual, really, really personal interconnectivity, me, you as a human being, conversations with yourself, then I don't really think that you're part of the movement. Whatever the movement might be. You're not an ally then. If you're not having those individual at the core of who you are and your personal relationships conversations. This is a similar question. You said your purpose was to help shift power to marginalized communities. And Taylor and I were talking a little bit about this before you came. We get the sense that there's like a zero-sum feel that people have, particularly people in privileged positions of like, anyone else gaining power means that I'm losing power. And I think that's a big block for a lot of people. When they hear like, Black Lives Matter, they're going to be like, well, all lives matter, right? Like there's this like natural like, why are we focusing on one group? Let's all kind of focus on everything. So how do you tailor your message to people that are coming with that perspective? How do you tailor your message to help them see that this isn't a zero-sum game? Or do you think that if they're if they're thinking like that, it's better to focus on people that you can uh, change perceptions on? So I always get anxious when people are starting from a place of scarcity. Mm-hmm. and not a place of abundance. Mm-hmm. And I get anxious because I think about all of the things that are awesome that have happened in our world, right? At the micro, micro level, you know, I think about like my relationships with my kids and like the, you know, just the cuddling that we're able to do and hugs and stuff. And I, and I think about like, what if I thought about that from a scarcity standpoint, right? What if I thought about like, oh, you know, and I was just constantly like, I got to do this more and I got to, you know, and it wasn't from a place of like, 
no, I got love to give all day long, right? Like, what would happen? So, like, in those really small places. But then I think also in these really big spaces, too, that when we come at it from this mentality that, you know, if I give you some power, that means I'm not going to get, I'm going to be losing some power. I think we've diminished our ability to move forward as a group, as a collective, right? So I don't like it in the little. I don't like it in the big. It makes me just not feel good, right? And so I think what happens when I start to see that is I try to help people take a step back and one, just recognize that that's what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, sometimes you're doing it, you're behaving that way, but you don't, you don't really realize that you're behaving that way. I mean, I've done that before too, right? Where you're like, wait a minute. So if, if you get an A on the paper, <laughs> <laughs> how's that going to affect the curve? How's that going to affect the curve? <laughs> right, exactly. Right. So, you know, that's, it's a human thing to do. But then to think like, wait, that same kind of minute, like, if you're getting A's on your paper, like, how, how can I work with you, right? Because I want to be, I want to be connected to that. And so I think, one, helping people recognize that it's happening, because sometimes it's, I, I, I often, and I always tell people this, I say this when I bring in new people who are working with me or people, clients or anything, I say, let's just always start with best intentions. And that's what I do. I assume that you have best intentions. I don't think you're coming in here trying to, hurt somebody or mess up nothing right so i'm gonna assume that but then that means that you could be making a mistake it means that i could be making a mistake and i want to be able to say to you hey let me just show you a different perspective and i want you to feel confident to say that to me so that's like just this you know peer-to-peer how do i help people and how can they help me see the things that i'm just blind to i know i have blinders and spots then i think the third thing is okay now that we've identified those things how would we reframe the way we're talking about this or how would we reframe the way we're thinking about from an abundant standpoint. So instead of being like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, what if she gets an A and I don't get an A? I'd be like, what if we talked about how we all got A's? <laughs> Do you know? Like, instead of talking about like, oh, oh, you know, if I if I don't get this grant, then, and the other organization gets this grant, then, you know, woe is me. Instead of being like, wait a minute, you're doing everything really, really awesome. There's something I can add to this. Do you mind if I actually just tag on to your grant? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do some of this work, and could that help you? Could you could you get to your goal faster? That, to me, is like a much, that's a much faster way to move forward. Do you think Milwaukee is currently on that track now? Are we on the right track? Are we a little off? Where do you see this city in regard to that? I always am going to see abundance and I'm always going to see the possibility and the potential that we have in the city and when I have opportunities to sit down with people who are moving into leadership roles and getting educated and trying to figure out how to solve these you know complex problems I I walk away just feeling incredibly inspired so I might not be the right gauge because (laughs) I feel like I'm constantly trying to you know, be in situations and be around people who are doing that. And so maybe my gauge is off, but whatever. Like, I like to believe that it's right because because I see so much of it. There's such high potential in this city when I think about people who see the world differently, who aren't afraid to activate, who want to find their purpose and hustle in it. I see those people. Um, and I wake up every day trying to think about how I can help them reach those objectives. One of the um, practical tips that you provide to all of us was finding a failure and hugging, hugging it. <laughs> and you, part of the hustle too was embracing failure. Um, so I think it'd be good for some of our listeners just to hear about maybe a time you really learned or embraced a failure and what did that mean for you and in, in your journey? So I embraced like 35 failures this morning. <laughs> <laughs> 
listeners yeah. to hear that, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I think that um, a lot of times, again, because of the way that we're structured and the way that things now get communicated, it can look like some of the people that you're following or you're doing, like that they've got it all together and it's all lined up and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it's not, you know, like I can burst that bubble for you right now, right? It's, it's just not. And so um, a lot of times I think what being a, like having a purposeful hustle and being a purposeful hustler like really means is how do you take those moments when you're like, I've messed up, right? Yes. And then flip them so they become something that's really, really positive. So I'll give you my, my example from this morning. My husband and I have this really extensive schedule. We, we communicate by email because we have to have records of our communications and how we're doing, right? And so I, my son is um, about to be in a performance. I had to bring him downtown. It was just all this stuff had to happen. And I forgot that my husband said he had to go up uh, to campus early this morning. And so here we are. I have a child that needs to get to school. I have a child that needs to get to his tech rehearsal for his upcoming first stage performance. Um, I am committed to a two and a half hour training session. We were going to meet this this <laughs> afternoon, right? I had uh, the second day of my new wonderful intern, right, oh, wow. starting. And so, you know, this morning, like an hour before all the game plan that had kind of been laid out for the day, I saw my husband like putting his shoes on. I thought, wait a minute. I looked at the calendar and I realized <laughs> he told me he was going to be leaving early. So how are we going to maneuver, you know, all of these, all of these things. And I thought in that moment, you know what, I initially, I thought like my son's going to go to school and he's going to, and I'm going to go pick him up. And you know, that's how we're going to do this. And then I was like, wait, he could come with me and I value school. I do not like my child. <laughs> to be out of school. I want to make sure I, you know, I value education. I think it's, you know, critically important, but the question became then like, this is not going to be feasible in this moment to take care of these things. We have responsibility, but how am I still going to make this a, an effective morning for him? So he actually did a, practice interview with me this morning. He actually went through and uh, listened to like a, a, a podcast on how to create a website this morning. He did, right? And so he had this whole entire educational program that I put together in five minutes, right? And that he also self-directed on. But it's just an example. It's just like a really small example of how in that moment it could be like, oh my God, I just messed up. Now I got to mess with all these other people and I got to be mad at myself. And, I, and the other, but we just like, we just laughed. And we rolled. So you talk a lot about your kids, and I know they have a pretty big role in Flying Elephant. Could you talk about kind of the innovative things they're doing with that organization? Sure. So I have two children. Uh, Stephanie is nine years old and Zion is five. Uh, and they are what make my heart beat every day. Um, they have, without any doubt, made me a better person, not just from a productivity standpoint, but also in the space of reflection and in the space of trying to be um, my very best, right? And so I'm incredibly grateful for, for them. So besides what they do on a practical level with Flying Elephant, they really help me stay grounded and also help me aspire to be better. And so... That's just what they do. Like that is that is their their role. They're sort of um, who I answer to, yeah. in more ways than one. But who I answer to. Uh, the second thing, though, is that you know, as we were thinking about flying elephant, and in particular because the children's books were kind of the thing that really helped me realize that I needed to move into flying elephant being its own company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the children's books are kind of the first product of flying elephant. 
before we ever even received the galley copy of the first book, I Am a Boy of Color, one of the big questions that I had was, well, the whole purpose in writing this book was about how do we shift power to young people, right? How do we put them in a place where we're using really positive words about them? Because I felt like not only was there a lack of artists and writers in the literature space, but there's also just a lack of books that feature positive images of children of color. And so at the at the very, like, beginning of it right the whole purpose was like how I shift power so we my husband and I were wrestling with this a lot and I was like I it has to be more than just a book because one book like first of all we had no expectations about what the book could do but we knew you know one book isn't going to be the one thing that changes right Mm -hmm. so how do you do that how do you how do you become part of this larger conversation around changing the narrative and creating more opportunities for children and then it just occurred to me and well then children should be in charge of this Right, then children should be the ones, like they should be the ones who are managing. And so I look over at my own two kids who helped inspire the book and, you know, helped me see this gap in, in the space. And um, and I was like, well, how, boys, how would you feel about being the co-chairman of a foundation? And what we'll do is we'll take some of the proceeds from the book, put it in the foundation, and you guys get to decide, you know, where you want the, the proceeds to go. And, of course, they were so excited. After I explained what co-chairman meant, yeah. then they were so excited, right? Um, so it's been phenomenal because what we've done is we've picked different organizations. And by we, I really mean the children have picked different organizations around the city that really promote positive images of children of color. And so they have gone onto their website. They've watched their videos. They've met with the leaders. They've done site visits, right? And site visits with the, with the five and nine-year-old are amazing. I really <laughs> like their chairs, you know? Because <laughs> they're so colorful, yeah. right? Like, you know, so they're, they're, they're getting there. Um, But then they've also spoken. They've spoken to other children, right? They've spoken to other adults and talked about what the book has meant for them. And they've done interviews and they've done these things. And so it's cool as a parent to watch them. But it's even better, like, just as an adult to watch children own this space and talk about how we can fund our own dreams, right? We can fund the things that make sense and that are going to help promote who we are as people and help live to this image. And I think that... Just watching them go down that journey and ask those questions and um, own it, right? They love to tell people, like, I'm a mom's boss, <laughs> which they technically are yeah. when it relates to the, the books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like, that's awesome. So that's that's how, how they're involved. And then I try really, really uh, to make sure that as I'm taking on new clients, as we're thinking about new projects, as we go, like, my son came to that meeting with me this morning, right, as I go to other places – they understand how it's all connecting back towards that bigger goal and that bigger mission because this is about building my legacy too, right? This is about them understanding. This is why my one of my favorite moments, my child was asked, what does your mom do for a living? And my son said, he must have been like, I don't know, five at the time or six at the time. He was like, oh, she just changes the world every day. She's just making it better. And I thought, yes! <laughs> right? Yeah. I need him to always understand that if I'm not going to be there with him, mm-hmm. that I'm doing something that is about this bigger purpose. So at Bridge the City, we always like to leave listeners with action steps. So, But I have like two action step related questions. The first being particular to like, if you are a person of color and you're interested in getting something published, what is that? How does somebody do that? I know it was sort of a learning process for you. Uh, so maybe give some advice to any listeners who are interested in getting into the publishing uh, field. Sure. So 
I think that the first thing, this is going to sound so elementary, is to write your book. So a lot of times people will come and they'll say, Deanna, I have this great idea, or I really want to do this. And I think, you're right, that is a great idea. You should do that. And then I'll see them a year later and I'll say, so how's that manuscript or where's that? I'm still thinking about it, which is fine. But there has to be a place where you stop thinking about something and you actually do it. So when people ask, like, how did you write this children's book? I did most of it between, like, 12 and 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, I do not support not sleeping. I do not want that to be the message that anybody takes away. It was because it was burning a hole in my heart, and I had to um, address it, right? I had to do it. It was a it was a really visceral need for me to do it, and I just that was the time that made the most sense. But if you want to do something, then I feel like don't sit around and wait for permission. Go write it. And then once you write it, then think, then you go like, well, what's the next step? Now i got to figure out how I'm going to get out. Then go to the next step, right? But do something. And then, yeah, just general action steps. I mean, your purpose is to empower marginalized people. I feel like that might resonate with some of our listeners. But just in general, if, if someone's looking to make a positive change in their community, uh, what are some, some action steps that our listeners can take away if they want to make a positive change in the community? I think there's a number of different things, but one of them is to carve out some time where you are forcing yourself to put onto paper what your purpose is in life. You have to understand that you might not get it right. The language might not be perfect. It might not be as clear and as clean cut, but taking that time to sit down with yourself with a piece of paper and a pen and forcing yourself to articulate what your purpose is, is really important because not only like I described earlier, can it help you with making decisions, but it can also help you frame where you want to go and how you want to set your goals. I think a lot of times I've had people, you know, they're in their 40s, they're in their 60s, they're in their late 20s, they're in their 80s, whatever, who have said, I didn't have that purpose in my life, and so I drifted. I, I feel like I lived somebody else's life, and that's so sad to me. But I don't think that there's a moment where if that's where you're at or that's how you're feeling, that doesn't mean that's where you have to always be, right? And so now is the right moment to sit down and carve out the time and really identify and force yourself to, to do that. Understanding that it, you have to be nimble, that it might change, that it's going to flux, that you're going to get more clarity. And then once you've done that, start articulating it and start living in that space. I will tell you an exercise that will hurt. It could hurt, depending on where you're at, right? It could be painful. Is to actually take your schedule Take your purpose statement, take your schedule, and then say, how much of my time am I actually spending in my purpose? Is it an is if somebody were videotaping me, if I was doing a reality television show and they were walking around with me, you know, in the quiet moments, in the loud moments, in the public moments, in the private moments, would they be able to articulate my purpose? If I told them my purpose, would they call me a liar? That's a really hard thing to do, but that's another thing that I would do. And then I think the third thing is once you've identified it and you've gone through the practice of really trying, because once you've done that, then you have to adjust, right? You have to adjust your schedule. I think sometimes we get in the space where we only talk about like, oh, you wrote a book? That's, oh, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but can I just tell you, there were like 700 steps in between writing that book, right? There was the first email that I sent um, with the PDF version of it, right? There was the first time that I sat down at the computer and tried to, like, there's all these little bitty things. If you're not taking those little bitty steps, 
you're not going to get to those big, big steps. So the other thing is like, how do you put something into a bite-sized portion and then require yourself every day, no matter what it is, every day to do something in that space? Thank you, thank so, you much. so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you very much. It was awesome to be here. I just want to say, like, I really appreciate this mindset, this whole concept that we're all coming from different places, right? We're all coming from different places, but there's an opportunity for us all to think about how we're building a bridge together and a bridge to one another. And I, I applaud what you're doing. I think it's really awesome. I hope that as you start these conversations, other conversations actually are generated from what you have laid a seed for. And I'm, I'm just really incredibly grateful. Thanks. A lot stuck out to me throughout the interview with Deanna. She had a lot of very important things to say. One thing in particular was our conversation around allyship and how do you really demonstrate that you are, um, that you're an ally towards a, a mission or towards some, some marginalized group. And she mentioned how it means showing up to everything, including those things that aren't as uh, big or, or th those events that aren't as, um, I guess, sensationalized in a way. And that, what that means is like showing up to the things that are sort of boring or, or difficult or time consuming. And as Taylor would say, those things aren't very sexy. But if you have a mission and purpose like Deanna's, then it's important to assess how often you're actually working and contributing toward that mission. Her tip about writing out your calendar and really being honest about how you're spending your time impacted me and made me think about my own personal leadership mission statement. And my personal leadership mission statement or my purpose is that I ex exist to dismantle systems of oppression and marginalization through proximate service and love. However, some days it definitely does not feel like I'm living that out. But Deanna's purposeful hustle has inspired me to think more critically about how I'm using my time and resources to dismantle systems. So I hope all of you take the time to write out your purpose or your mission statement after hearing from Deanna and then start your hustle. I appreciated how Deanna highlighted the importance of purpose and how that should drive all of us to be intentional about our decisions within both our professional and personal lives. I also really liked hearing about the backstory of the elephants for the Flying Elephant organization and the wings, putting wings on our ideas because sometimes ideas can feel so just impossible to make happen. Um, and an elephant is so heavy, like she, she talked about, but we can put wings on them. And that's really inspiring to hear. I also really enjoyed hearing about how she navigates spaces as a woman of color. With me being a woman of color, that's something that's on my radar a lot and within my own professional and personal life. So it was nice hearing how she handles that in her world. There was a lot that stood out to me while interviewing Deanna. And I know that this interview could have honestly lasted multiple hours with all the things that Deanna is involved in. But I really think that her action step was one of the best ones that we've had on Bridge the City. And that was just to create a mission statement for your life. And for something that is seemingly so simple, I couldn't really think of what my own mission in life is. And I think most of us get lost in the busyness of every day. We get lost in our own routines. And we don't take the time to reflect on if what we're doing is really what we want to be doing. And so taking time to reflect on what your purpose is, what your purpose should be, and 
then to build your life around that purpose, it can be really powerful stuff. And I understand that it's a privilege to be able to live out your purpose, but I think having that purpose uh, as a goal, as a, as a destination, can help align what your journey will look like. And I think it can give you more joy just in your day to day. So I would say that this action step is something that everyone can do. And so I challenge all of you to think of what your purpose is in life, write it out, and then think about what steps you're gonna to take to fulfill this purpose. I don't think anyone's life will ever be perfect, but I do think that we can all be more purposeful in life. And Deanna's interview definitely highlighted that. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Deanna as much as we did. And we found it reassuring to know that Milwaukee has an incredible leader and an incredible thinker. We really hope you'll check out Deanna's books, I Am a Boy of Color, I Am a Girl of Color, and The New Purposeful Hustle. At September 20th, don't forget, but also please check out any of the organizations she mentioned, any of those that stick out to you especially, and see how you can get involved. And finally, thank you to Deanna Singh herself for yes. taking time out of her busy schedule to sit down with us. Yeah, rumor has it it was between Bridges City mm. or This American Life, <laughs> and she Easy chose Bridges City. So great decision <laughs> to be on the pod. And thank you all for the efforts you all do to make Milwaukee a better place. And hopefully the action steps uh, that we curate are inspiring to you. And as always, please, please, please let us know how you are helping bridge, bridge the city. city. City, yeah, gotta bridge the city, the city, bridge the city.